um wow it's almost time to watch the little vampire again god bless okay 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 i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it Uh, someone's (laughs) gotta all right all right all right (laughs) there are so many people and this infuriates me every year every year i get that it's hot it's annoying that it's hot I too wish that it would be like high 70s every day. I too agree that that would be preferred weather, preferred weather to what we're currently experiencing. But there are so many people online who are constantly like, I just want it to be fall. I can't wait for it to be fall. But you know what happens when you wish it was fall? You wish the beautiful summer away, the most beautiful time of year when everything's blooming and you can go swimming and it's nice weather and it's fun and it's warm and you go to the beach and you're wishing for the time when we have to go back to work and it's cold. Okay, but how are you? We haven't intro we haven't introduced ourselves yet. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Go ahead. It's okay. Um all right, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering. I'm Sarah. I'm Jane. And it is a heat wave in both locations where we live. That's what we're dealing with. Last night we had a party at our apartment for Taylor's birthday. Happy birthday, Taylor. This comes out like two days before her birthday. And it was it was a lot of fun. We had like 20 people at the apartment and our living room doesn't have air conditioning, but my room does. So by the end of the party, everyone was just in my room, just like sitting on my bed, trying to cool down. It was very funny. Jenna posted a picture of herself in her like outfit and she took it in your room and I saw the Mexicali blue sticker on your closet. And I was like, Yeah, hey. I put it on my closet. Laurel also posted a photo um in my room and I posted a photo in front of my closet doors too. But um yeah, everyone was posting photos that they took because they were like, What's the best background? And I was like, Well, if you want like a white background, we have we have my closet. <laughs> it was really funny. Um it was good. It was a really good party. Lots of fun. I had lots and lots to drink. I have never gotten a real hangover. Even that one time that I browned out and I there are gaps in my memory. Like I still woke up the next day feeling fine. I think hangovers for me is just being like ridiculously unreasonably tired. I slept nine hours last night and I'm still like all day I've been falling asleep. I've had so much coffee. I've had a lot of water. Like I feel fine. Oh, my mom's calling me. Hold on. Let me pick up the Sue! phone. My mom just called because my cousin's getting married in September and um, their wedding is at a Quaker meeting house. And if you know anything about the Quakers, Mm. it's that in their religion, um, they do a lot of silent prayer and a lot of silent reflection. Um, Like Mm. all of their, 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 like, what's it called? Like church for them is called meetings. Um, and they spend about 20 minutes in silent prayer and silent reflection. And that's where my cousin's getting married. And apparently the ceremony is going to be an hour and a half. Oh no! Wedding ceremony. The last cousin I had that whose ceremony was that long. She's Catholic, so they do Catholic weddings. They have a lot of rituals, um, but mm-hmm. but these not so much. So I was like, what? <laughs> uh, but I already said I was going to the ceremony. Oh well. It's an hour and a half. Yeah, it wasn't an hour. What was I saying? Um, I've discovered that about- like, yeah, I've I've discovered that I'm just the kind of like I don't think I get hung over I think I just get like unreasonably tired just so tired so that's how I'm doing how are you doing um I'm good I'm also pretty tired um I think just I just have a tiring job and it wipes me out right um, when I have days off I, but th- at the same time I very much enjoy my job like I really like working at camp and even on nights when I have rehearsals, I really enjoy rehearsals. So I feel like while I'm doing those things, I'm really up in high energy and I don't feel that. And then like a day off will come and I just like right. hit the wall plateau. and I, I want, yeah. I want to sleep. Right. But... You hit a plateau. Definitely. Yeah. This week was really tiring because this was the first week, the first two weeks of camp. I really was just doing camp. I wasn't doing a lot in the evenings. And then this week Shakespeare in the park started back up. So I've been working in the park. And I only worked once this week and then mm-hmm. next week I'll work twice. But then I also saw the Lion King on Thursday night. And then on 
did something else one night. Like I've just been doing more stuff in the evenings in addition to camp. Um, yeah. So like Thursday night, I got home at like one thirty in the morning, and then I had to get up for camp at seven. So I was I was pretty wiped at camp on mm-hmm. Friday. It's hard. It's really hard because it's so exhausting. I you, I have a little bit easier than you because I only see three groups and I'm with them for an hour each. So and I get mm. breaks. But it's still like it's hard. It's really really hard. Oh yeah, I'm with the same group of 32 children from 8:30 a.m. until 5 p.m. Yeah. Well, not until 5 p.m. A majority of that um, it's pickup starts at 3:30. Right. A couple, like a handful of them um come from um a, this come from Damascada and they all take a bus. Uh, so they all get on the bus and leave. So then that reduces, and then a, a lot of parents pick their kids up like pretty promptly, close to 3:30. But then right. it's usually, but the same. I'm still like with kids until five. Right. Uh, it's still a long day. It's a long day. And then lately I've been having like nighttime rehearsals from 6:30 to 9:30. Um, and sometimes they're in Demerscotta, so I have to drive there and back, and it's a lot. But right. It's well, fun. I have some good news. What's your good news? By the time this episode comes out, we will be in Leo season. Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank goodness. I've also, we've been waiting in bated breath. Like people who don't believe that Mercury in retrograde is a real thing, I would just like to point out that this heat wave started on the day Mercury in retrograde entered Leo, and <sighs> fire signs. It's happening. It's happening. But thank God it's going to be Leo season. We're going to be out of Cancer season. Yeah, celebrating. It's our time to thrive and rise. Uh, I'm raising my arms in the air. <laughs> All right, are you ready to get started? I think I am. Um, I'm gonna be basing a lot of this on just like stuff I remember. But I also I did do research. I watched a cute little YouTube video from some children's educational um thing. And I, I read a couple of different articles. Um, but basically, okay, here we go. Last week, you asked me how earthquakes happen. And you also asked me if climate change is making them worse, which I will get into at the end. Um, okay. But did you ever learn about earthquakes in like sixth grade? Um, yes, in like literally, in literally sixth grade. And then I think I learned it again in 10th grade. I know mm. the very basics about it. I know about tectonic plates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a majority of what it is. And to refresh everyone's memories. Um, so the earth we know is made up of four layers. We've got the um, inner core, the outer core, the mantle and the crust. And in 10th grade, my friends and I wrote a rap that went, all right, everybody, let's discuss the inner core, outer core, mantle, and crust. <laughs> Sorry, continue. If you don't know about them, really, you must. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Basically, um, the top of the mantle and the crust, uh, mostly the crust are, you know, the top are like the top, the outside layer of the earth. And I it's hate not that crust. That's like some people hate moist. I hate the word crust. Continue. Continue. Um, it's it, it's not all in one solid piece. Like the earth okay. is not like one. It's made. It's split into a bunch of different parts called the tectonic plates. Like a puzzle. Yes, it's like a puzzle. And because of like the pressure in the earth and the pressure in the atmosphere and the fact that these plates aren't totally connected, they move. Okay. They move very slowly. Because of gravity? Um, mostly just, it's mostly just like they're drifting. So like, like clouds? And pressure? Okay. Kinda. Yeah. Like the clouds move more so because of air pressure. And this is because of like the pressure within the earth combined okay. with the pressure from the air because it's, you know, it's that point in between. right in between. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. Yeah. But it's moving very slowly. It's moving at a rate of um, one to two inches per year. Yeah. I was about to say, I remember it being like an inch maybe. Yeah. Which, fun fact, is the same speed at which your fingernails grow, which I don't totally believe because I feel like I have to trim my nails pretty often. I know. I feel like my nails are always like, I guess it's just because our nails are so small. Like, can you imagine a one inch long nail? No, like, that would be I feel like that's like just like a really long, like, pair of those, uh, not nail extensions, but. Acrylic nails? Acrylic nails. I feel like those are like an inch long. 
Is yeah, from wrong? bottom of nail to top of nail, but we're talking about top of nail out, you know? Oh, we are? Okay. So, like, really, I think what they're trying to say is that your nail, you're probably your entire nail is maybe maybe three quarters of an inch. So I think they're trying to say that you, you regrow one whole nail or so every year. Mm. Did you know um, your nail doesn't grow from, like, cuticle up? It doesn't. Out? No, I had my I had a toenail removed. What my big toenail? This is maybe a gross story to tell. I've also lost a toenail. We have this in common. Keep yes. going. <laughs> but it didn't grow like that. It like it like formed up. My mine didn't grow into the nail bed. Like it it didn't grow into the cuticles. It sits on top of the cuticles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. That would make sense. That makes sense. Anyway, anyway, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Back on track. Stop talking well, about nails <laughs> love toe stuff yeah okay so because the tectonic plates are constantly in motion they're just like always rubbing against each other pretty generally mm-hmm. um and pushing friction. up against each other yeah and causing a lot of friction and that itself isn't a problem but there are a lot of like edges to the tectonic plates that can be jagged sometimes like sometimes parts stick out so when two tectonic plates are rubbing against each other and all of a sudden like there's a little part sticking out or something that's keeping the plates from continuing to move um they'll just like push and push against each other until it finally breaks through and when it breaks through the like energy involved in the plates just moving generally that's all building up and building up and building up when the plates can't move okay and so finally when they break free there's a big release of the energy in the form of seismic waves that just shoot up and those seismic waves is what the they shake the earth as they go up and that is what an earthquake is so okay so friction puts pushes something up and that makes the earthquake um yes kind of it the friction is what like keeps it from being able to move and when it's finally able to move again the okay. release of the pent up energy the release of energy is the earthquake okay yes all right i'm following yes the um surface where the like where that event happens the surface yeah. of it is called the fault place oh. um and the location the where it happens stars sorry <laughs> The location um, below the Earth's surface where this happens is the hypocenter, and the location directly above it on the surface of the Earth is the epicenter. Oh, so there's like different layers to it. Um, kind of. Yeah. The hi- like, think of it like two. Like, if you have just two, like if, when you're rubbing your, I keep rubbing my hands together as the demonstration thing. Like the bottom of your hands, like the part closest to the ground, that would be like the hypocenter and then the top would be the epicenter okay so it moves upwards yes okay um sometimes earthquakes have four shocks which are smaller earthquakes that happen in the exact same place just before yes and then the main shock is the the larger earthquake that takes place yeah that's this is what what made me what it made me interested in this topic is that jenna marbles and her boyfriend julian were talking about this on their podcast and they were saying that for the earthquakes that just happened in california once the second earthquake happened the first earthquake was called a four shock and if another Mm -hmm. earthquake happened after it that was larger then the first two would have been considered the four shock but if a third one happened that was smaller than the second one that would have been an aftershock yes yes that is correct cool they, well, you actually, you asked about California and yeah. the reason why there are more um, earthquakes in California is because if you look at a map of the earth, there are uh, the boundaries of all the tectonic plates are uh, and the like cracks in between them are called fault lines. Mm-hmm. And there is a really there's a fault line that runs straight through California, like along the coast, but then farther inland when you get farther south. That's the San Andreas Fault, right? That's the San Andreas Fault. Yeah. So that's why they're, they get way, that's why they get earthquakes essentially is because they're on a fault line. So yeah, plates are rubbing against themselves underneath them, literally. I wonder how scientists discovered the tectonic plates. I don't know. 
Like, that's a crazy discovery. There's some discoveries that I'm like, okay, it makes sense how we discovered that. But stuff like, can you imagine being the person that discovered this, like, major geological structure, you know? Yeah. Like, that's huge. Understanding that, like, I feel like that's the same as, like, understanding that continental drift happened when they finally were like, oh, my God, you know? Like, they all fit together. I'm just imagining some man being like, whoa, I solved the puzzle. Oh, yeah. But like, that's crazy to me that someone discovered that, you know, and then obviously over many, many years, they had to map it out and figure out where all the fault lines are. But mm-hmm. yeah, still super fascinating. Good for you. Good for you. Whoever did that. Yeah. And isn't Africa like slowly drifting away or something from Europe? Yeah, I think I read somewhere that the continents are drifting at like 10 centimeters a year or something like that. Maybe. Something like that. The continents are still drifting at a ve- at a very slow rate, even slower than the than the moving tectonic plates. I think it actually might be like the same speed because I, I remember. remember it makes sense to hearing... the, the same speed because they sit on top of each other. Yeah, I remember yeah. hearing in school like the continents are moving at the same speed as your fingernails are growing, or so that would make. Oh yeah yeah so, yeah. You know, bring that little factoid back around. Yeah, uh, I, for- I don't know which direction Africa is moving, but it, we're all moving. <laughs> I guess it would make sense to me if, like, since we were Pangea at one point, it was all one. It's, like, still drifting apart. Well, you know what's crazy is if, like, at one point, if we're all drifting, if when we were Pangea, we all drifted away from each other, but the Earth is circular, which means technically we're all drifting back towards each other just in the opposite direction. So eventually, in millions of years, North America could crash into Asia on the other side, you know? Oh, yeah. In many, many, many years. I Millions saw, of years. <laughs> I saw this play. This is now reminding me. Like two summers ago. Um, there was just like a, at like a playwriters festival. Someone submitted it. And it was called Sham Gia. Oh. And the like plot of the play was just like two siblings arguing. And a majority of the time you're like on the sister's side. And you're like, oh, the sister's totally right. I don't even remember what they were arguing about. It was something about like she had a YouTube channel or something and her family was very unsupportive and it just seemed like right. she's, which is a mood. Um, <laughs> and it, like you were very much on her side the whole time. And then you find out that her YouTube channel was called Sham Gia. And the point of it was that she was a conspiracy theorist who thought that Pangea never happened, that the earth used to be really teeny tiny. And it was just all, the world was just entirely covered by land. And it was just one giant continent that surrounded the earth called (laughs) and that when the and then the earth is just growing oh and that and that because it grew like what is the word for like the the shell of the earth i guess just broke apart and that's why the continents are separated and then like water formed and from there and so she thought pangea was a myth that was made up and so sham gia was it anyway side story juicy that sounds like an interesting play it it was and then at the end you were kind of like oh maybe you're using this YouTube channel to like manipulate people into thinking this dumb conspiracy theory that's definitely not true. Um, right. <laughs> um, like me trying to convince people that birds aren't real. <laughs> they're not. Um, oh yeah, yeah, the San Andreas Fault. So that's why they have more earthquakes in California, essentially. Did you um, know if it's true or false that San Francisco? I mean, like it is true that at some point San Francisco is gonna break off. But did you read anything about like when they think it's gonna happen? Oh, no. Yeah, that's, like, a big worry, because San Francisco, where it's sitting, it's only held on by, like, a little, little piece, so it could drift away. Jeez. There's, like, a book where that happens, or a television or something like that, where it's, like, the point is just that San Francisco got ripped off. And became an island. Nuts, right? Yeah. Okay, oh, this is a fun fact. Do you know how seismographs work? Uh, uh, Not really, no. Seismographs are the instrument used to measure the severity of earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And what it really is, is it's like a ball hanging on a string that's weighted. And it <laughs> it has like a, like ink on the bottom of it or something. Like it has a little tip. That, um, yeah. And it when there's an earthquake, in my mind, I thought it was that, oh yeah, it swings. And the swinging is what recorded it. But really, the ball on the string stays still, but the earth underneath it is moving. <gasps> That's so interesting. I also would have thought that it's the ball that's swinging. Uh, That's super interesting. The difference in position between the shaking part 
of the seismograph and the motionless part is what is recorded. I was like, what? Okay, so you asked um, if climate change was making um, earthquakes happen more frequently. Okay, yeah. So I read this article that basically was talking about natural disasters in general, and they start talking about hurricanes, which I remember Mm. you talking about when you talked about climate change. Yeah. Um, I think that's my favorite thing I've ever covered, climate change. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It says the current consensus among um, scientists is that um, while a warmer world will not necessarily mean more hurricanes, it will see a rise in the frequency of the most powerful and therefore more destructive variety. So basically, mm-hmm. we don't have proof right now that um, it'll cause fr- it's frequency. Causing it's hurricanes, but yeah, it's going to make the more destructive, more dangerous storms to be the kind that do occur more frequently. Yeah, um, I remember reading that because it's because of the rising sea level. Like that's yeah. That's really why for hurricanes. Yeah. But basically, um, it's kind of similar with earthquakes. Um, so what we do know is that ocean temperatures are the highest they've ever been. And right. um, atmospheric pressure is dropping like drastically. Mm, yeah. Um, these differences are just making the movement of the tectonic plates um more sensitive okay like there they can be pushed more easily basically that if that sense. makes any sense like that totally makes the, sense the metaphor i think i read somewhere is like they're floating in a more viscous fluid but that's not that's not that makes sense really it's what like, it is but yeah it's like putting vaseline on it a little bit yeah it takes yeah. a lot less pressure to move them and one time said that um this is also a quote from the guardian it says this may sound far-fetched but an earthquake fault that is primed and ready to go is like a coiled spring and geophysicist john mccloskey john mccloskey of the university of ulster is fond of pointing out that all that is needed to set it off is quite literally the pressure of a handshake so it just makes it like real like the yeah. way the air pressure and the water temperatures have affected the tectonic plates make it just easier for earthquakes to occur because the tectonic plates are more easily moved. Right. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Yeah. So here are a couple safety tips for people who live in areas where earthquakes are common. I dedicate this to my bake and her boyfriend who are moving to California in a month. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's to you. Number one, have a plan. Uh, like look at where you are where your house is have have safety plan in measure like where you'll meet if something bad happens yada 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 where your safety supplies are stored that kind of thing consult a professional on how to make your home sturdier Uh, like uh for instance you can bolt your bookcases to the wall um Mm -hmm. and do things like that to make your furniture more secure um and locate a place in each room of your house where you can go where nothing will fall on you where there's like mm. <laughs> i'd be screwed in my room i'm looking at my big bookshelf although it's nowhere near my bed so if i was in bed i'd be okay but like keep a supply of canned food a first aid kit and three mm. gallons of water per person yes. um d- dust mask and dust masks and goggles and a working battery operated radio and flashlight all kept mm, in yeah. an accessible place a hand, cr- a hand crank lantern those are great Oh, yeah. And I guess I never thought, I was like, dust masks. And I was like, oh, right, if there's an earthquake, things are shaking, yeah. there's probably going to be dust in the air. Yeah, if a building crumbles, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Know how to turn off your gas and water mains. That's mainly, like, if, I think, if those were to break and you don't want gas and water yeah. leaking everywhere. Um, in the moment when it starts, drop down, take cover, and hold on. Uh, <laughs> stay <laughs> indoors. Um, stay away from things that could fall on you. Now they do say to um, stay. It, it's it's good to stay in doorways, and I thought this was because doorways are like particularly sturdy. But no, it's really because the way furniture is set up in rooms, that's the least likely place that furniture could fall on you. Yeah, that totally because makes sense. You don't you have, have. Yeah, you're not going to put stuff in front of a doorway. Exactly. Yeah. Um. If you're outdoors, uh, find a clear spot away from buildings, trees, and power lines. Drop to the ground. Um, If you are in bed, hold on and stay put and protect your head with a pillow, which is a mood. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
if you're in a car, this is where I would panic if I was in a car. If you're in a car, slow mm-hmm. down and keep driving until you're at a clear place and stay in the car. Yeah. That would be really scary. They were talking about with the California earthquakes that just happened at the beginning of the month. Some people were at a Shawn Mendes concert when it happened. Like they were saying like you can be so prepared, but at the end of the day, like you literally never know it's when it's going to hit. Like you could be taking a shower and you're hit with an earthquake. Like you like earthquakes are going to wait until you're at a point where you're ready. You know, yeah, um, you could be at a concert. You could be at a sports game. It could happen literally whenever, which is like the scary part, I think, of natural disasters, but especially earthquakes like hurricanes. Now we kind of know when hurricanes are coming. It's rare for them to like just pop up in the middle of a city, you know, yeah. but earthquakes like I, I don't know if there's a way to predict when they're going to happen. There's not really um, other than like scientists being aware of what the tectonic plates are doing right because sometimes um tectonic plates can be pressed up against each other for literally years and then suddenly they break free of what was keeping them up against each other and that energy is what it caused so do you know at what point on the richter scale things would start to fall over in your apartment or wherever you live i don't really no I do know what was kind of surprising to me was all the advice I read was being like if you're indoors stay indoors and I was like well what if your house falls on you but I guess it's not strong enough to literally destroy a house unless the house is built badly Mm -hmm. yeah it really depends on where you are like I know like to knock over trees or to knock over things that could like like the real risk in your house is just your furniture Right. And I think it also depends that if you're in an epicenter or not, um, like mm-hmm. how far away you are from the from the center, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, obviously it'll it'll feel and look really differently. Like the one the one that just happened in California, I'm pretty sure was like a seven or something like that. And in the center, like things definitely fell over. There's videos of people in grocery stores and the shelves fall over like that definitely happens. Um, I was in an earthquake once in Pennsylvania. And. I, it wasn't strong. It was like a four or something like that. Um, and everyone was fine. I forget where the epicenter was, but it is like, it is really the oddest feeling in the world because it's like, it feels almost like your stomach is dropping because it's like, it's not like being on a roller coaster where like you're just shaking because you're in a vessel. It's like you feel in your entire body, the way that the earth shakes because it's like, so it's crazy. It's like a very odd feeling. This was probably like, seven or eight years ago now and I still remember that because it was so like unsettling that's interesting I'm looking at a map of the tectonic plates and there's not one that runs through Pennsylvania there's not a line I forget I forget how we got an earthquake but it did happen hold on let me look it up there was absolutely like I was I was at home I was standing in my living room and I remember and I was like was that an earthquake um earthquake Pennsylvania 2011 yeah it was it was eight years ago um and it oh what happened was it was in Virginia wait hold on yes Pennsylvania earthquakes rattles nerves along with buildings um felt it it was felt like all over interesting interesting yeah August 2011 oh yeah it was the day after my birthday it was the day after my 16th birthday it was a wow. 5.8 on the Richter scale, and it originated in Richmond, Virginia, and we felt it in Pennsylvania. Mm. Which is crazy to think about that, like, someone, there could be an earthquake in Virginia and Pennsylvania could feel it, but I always forget that on the East Coast, the states are so close together. I could be in Virginia in four hours, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to California, like, you drive for five hours and you're still in California. <laughs> okay, is that everything about earthquakes? That's everything about earthquakes. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. I hope it was informative. It was. It was super informative. I'm really glad I know all of that, especially because now I have like people that I care about a lot moving to California. So I wanted to know more about it so they can have earthquake readiness. I wonder like in New York, what natural disaster are we most predisposed to in New York? A hurricane? Because there's that huge uh, hurricane in Jersey. I guess. Yeah. Andy, yeah. I, the one, the closest thing to a natural disaster I've ever experienced was there was, um, when I lived in Connecticut, there was a microburst. What's a microburst? A microburst is just, I think it's a really teeny tiny hurricane. Oh. Uh, and there was one in my hometown. It was very much like you could 
follow the path of the storm. Like there was like a line of where of trees being knocked down. Right. They went like through the town. But it was just basically a really bad rainstorm. And my parents that day happened to be caught up at work or something and they forgot to pick me up. Or they were out of town or something. So I was at school. Yikes. <laughs> waiting for my and <laughs> I called home because it was back before I had a cell phone. This was in like sixth or seventh grade. And right. I, I like was calling home from the office phone and no one was answering and no one was answering. And finally, my older brother answered, but he didn't have a car or a license at the time. So he <laughs> ran in the storm to my neighbor's house and then my neighbor oh my showed up to come pick me up. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> I went home and my brother was just my brother was in the passenger seat with her sopping wet. And <laughs> She was wow. like, this hero has got me to come get you. <laughs> a true hero. <laughs> Thank you. Was it Drew or Chris? It was Drew. Thank you, Drew, for saving Jane's life. I just would have been at school. I wouldn't have died. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so today, for today's Reddit segment, I decided instead of going on Reddit, I found something on Twitter that was just too good not to talk about on the podcast because I thought it would fit in nicely here. And that is that on Twitter, I found a thread that's, what are some weird phrases from not English that translate hilarious in English? Oh. So I'm going to I'm going to share a couple of them with you because I I just loved them. Just loved them. Um the first one I'm typing them into Google Translate. So Google Translate can say them instead of me butchering them. This is Polish. Nie mój cyrk, nie moja małpa. I'll play that again. Okay, so the idea behind this is the English equivalent would be not my problem, but it translate li- translates literally into not my circus, not my monkey. Oh my gosh! So that's one of them. Um, not this my next circus, not my monkey. Not my circus, not my monkey. This one, this one made me think of you. This is Irish. Hold on, I have to put it into Google Translate. Yes. Okay. All right. So I can't I Google Google Translate won't translate this one, but I'm going to I'm just uh, <laughs> the phrase is it's a small world, like the English equivalent. This is a phrase in Irish, but the Irish translation of it is what an odd place to find a lobster. What? <laughs> um in Bosnian, the way they say it is what it is, the phrase literally translates to that's the beans that fell on me. The beans that fell on me, you know. Beans that fell on me. In German, the phrase that they used that would mean nobody said it was easy. We love Coldplay. Um, <laughs> their literal translation of that phrase is life is not a pony farm. It's not, you know. It's not. It's really not. Sometimes you want it to be, but it's just not. Um, in Russian, the English equivalent of you got to crawl before you walk is the first pancake is always a blob. Aww. Well, it, I mean, I guess they're circular, but aren't, isn't that still technically a blob? Aren't most pancakes blobs? I, we could say most are blobs. I think it's that, like, you're never going to make the perfect pancake on the first try. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. <laughs> in Chilean Spanish, the phrase which means you're losing it, I'm sorry I'm not saying them out loud, but I don't want to butcher all these languages. That's um, fine. Um, the phrase "you're losing it" translates literally to "your goat suddenly fled to the mountain." No, doesn't that happen all the time? You know, all the time. I'm gonna start using these. I guess in Chile, yeah, that's the thing that could happen. Well, I guess your goat suddenly fled to the mountain. It's rough, buddy. In German, the phrase "I believe I'm dreaming" literally translates to "I think my pig whistles." In German, the phrase "great minds think alike." Literally translate to literally translates to two dumb people, one thought. Ah! The shade. Yeah. It's in Dutch, it. in Dutch, the phrase "now it's starting to make sense" literally translates to "now comes the monkey out of the sleeve." Ah, now comes the monkey out of the sleeve. You gotta say it with the right intention, you know. Um, in Spanish, the phrase "we love you a lot" because you're the best translates to "we love you an egg because you are the milk." What? What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that makes sense, but <laughs> that's what it is. We love you an egg because you are the milk. 
Yep. Okay. That's what oh, it means. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and Spanish, the phrase he thinks he slash she thinks highly of themselves translates to they put a lot of cream on their tacos. <laughs> in German, a lot of those are German. In German, the phrase I can say this one. Das ist mir wurst. Das ist mir das ist mir wurst. Which means mm-hmm. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. Literally translates to it is sausage to me. <laughs> is um, that because sausage is, is really common? I guess. Like you eat it every day? Like bratwurst? I guess, yeah. It's like this is like common knowledge. I don't know. Like I don't need it. I don't need this. Maybe. That must be what it is. And then there's the last one in German. Um, the phrase this place is very remote and quiet refers to that's where the fox and the rabbit say goodnight to each other. Aww, which I thought that's was, actually so cute. Yeah, I thought that was really, 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 really cute. Um, there are a whole bunch more. This is a thread on Twitter, but I just wanted to share some of those with you because I love stuff like that. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I need to plug in my laptop. Give me a hot sec. Well, I mean, is there any other kind of seconds in this kind of weather? Nope. <laughs> I still, I know this is not how most people feel, but I'd rather have this than a blizzard where we're all freezing. Alrighty, Jane, are you ready to learn about passports? I am. All right. So thank you, Carissa, for asking about this. I appreciate it. Very so, smart question. I would very have never smart thought question. of it. I learned a lot. And also this was a lot. This is very interesting. It was more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Um, okay. So. A passport is any document issued by some sort of government figure allowing international travel. And under this definition, passports have a very long history. Remember, passports are official documents for travel to come in and out of a country. Got nothing to do with your countries. I mean, like, often it's like the country of citizenship is where you're going to get your passport for, but it's not. It's not like a work visa. It's not something to do with Mm -hmm. whether or not you can work there. It's just for traveling in and out of the country. One of the early references to passports is in the Hebrew Bible and the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verses 7 to 9, dated about 450 BC. That's how old the idea of a passport is. Oh, jeez. This passage states that Nehemiah, an official serving king Artaxerxes of Persia, the first of Persia, was granted papers by the king to travel to Judea, requesting safe passage as he traveled through their lands. And this paper is the same thing as a passport saying he's under my supervision. He's free to travel here. Passports have significance in Chinese Imperial history, having been around since the Shin dynasty in 221 to 207 BC, their passports were called Suan and determined a person's ability to move through the Imperial counties. Since China was very defined at the time. Um, I love history of the video history of the world, I guess, where they show China breaking apart and back together again. Like, that's what we're talking about Oh, yeah. So much. The Chinese history is crazy. In the medieval Islamic caliphate, which I know absolutely nothing about, now I'm interested, um, which was the years 632 to about 1200, their passport was the Bara'a, which was a receipt for paying their taxes. And if you didn't pay your taxes, you weren't permitted to move throughout the different regions of the caliphate. So you had to pay taxes in order to move around. The etymological source of the word passport comes from Europe. It refers to a medieval document that allowed someone to pass through the gate or port of a city. So the Italian word for gate is porta. So I'm assuming it comes from the Italian. Oh, yeah. Porta. Because it literally would grant you entrance into a city. Um, Local authorities would issue these to visiting travelers dictating where they were allowed to go. During this time, documents were not required for sea travel because water was considered an open trading point, but they were required if you were going to travel inland. So if you worked on the sea and you only went from port to port, you didn't need a passport. But if you wanted to travel into the country and into any cities, you would. And this is very different than a passport now because back then, a country that was not where you were from or a city that was not where you were from would grant the passport, whereas now you're granted a passport from the place where you are from. Okay. King Henry V, we love Shakespeare, is credited with inventing the modern passport, which helped his subjects prove they were English in foreign lands and under his protection. Such documents are referenced in a 1414 Act of Parliament. So thank you, King Henry V. Which everybody go watch the BBC King Henry V with Tom Hiddleston. He's very good. 
1540, these travel documents became the responsibility of the Privy Council, um, and around the time the term passport was first used as the English word passport. Mm. And then in 1548, the Imperial Diet of Augsburg, which has nothing to do with eating. It's literally a meeting of the whole of like the higher ups in the Holy Roman Empire. It was called the Imperial Diet, um, required the public to hold imperial documents for travel or else they would not be able to return to the Holy Roman Empire. And this is when the Holy Roman Empire was a huge part of Europe. I totally had to re-remind myself what the Holy Roman Empire was when I was like re-watching Rain, re- uh, not Rain Up. <laughs> um Spanish princess. But yeah, Spanish princess and all the, Well, really the white princess and, and the Tudors too. Yeah, I, I definitely could use a brush up on um, what after the fall of Rome that there was like the Roman Empire and then there was the fall of Rome and there became the Byzantine Empire and the Holy Roman Empire and then the Holy Roman Empire took over more. Like that, yeah. that history is crazy. Someday we'll do that because that's a crazy history and super yeah. fascinating, super fascinating. So even though I got a lot of this information from Wikipedia and even though Wikipedia didn't state this, I'm assuming that because the Holy Roman Empire was so huge, um, other countries followed their influence and England's influence and the official use of passports like this spread throughout Europe and eventually the rest of the world because of colonialism. Mm-hmm. And that's how they got it everywhere. But Benjamin Franklin introduced passports in the U.S. in 1783. So he was like, we're a country now. We need passports because we oh, can't okay. use our British ones anymore. Um, rapid expansion of railroads and wealth in Europe in the mid 19th century led to a large increase in the volume of international travel, which diluted the passport system out of a desire for efficiency. And because it was really hard to keep track of everyone traveling from country to country because they were hopping on trains and there weren't checkpoints. It would be like you get on the train in Paris and you end up in London and there you are. And it was really hard to have an official border security system. And it wasn't really necessary yet. Um, and this went on for about 30 years until the start of World War One. And then during World War One, European governments introduced passports for, as a border requirement for security reasons. And I thought this was really interesting to control emigration because they were worried that all of the laborers in their country was going to were going to leave. And they needed the laborers to stay in the country to help run the factories and build the guns and go to war. So they were using it to track who was exiting and entering the country and like what use they might be. Um, But because of World War One, there was this like sudden fear of neighbors and an awareness of borders and different lands, border security, the border security from World War One stayed in place afterwards. And then passports again became required to travel from country to country, which like it really would probably have the most impact in Europe and the Middle East and Asia, just because those countries are so close together. Um, Not that, you know, African countries obviously are still close together, but those countries are pretty large. Like European countries relatively are pretty small, especially, yeah. especially some of the little ones, you know, as, like the coastal ones, maybe not so much, but when you're right in the middle of it, I can imagine that it would be very easy for people to hop over from one country to another when it's a close drive. In 1920, the league of nations had a conference. Oh, plus a lot of African countries were still being colonized by Europe. So, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they did there, they were doing it there. They're doing it in Africa. And um the pacific what was it, like the process maybe we'll answer this later but like was there a process to get a passport or is it like how it is now where you have to like go and apply and then wait for it to come in the mail or totally depends on the country for the most part okay. yeah it's like you go to a government building and you apply for the passport for travel um i didn't go a lot into how you secure one um in america you apply for one um and i feel like it's a pretty simple process to get it approved i know i didn't have any problems but um i i'll talk a little bit later about some countries who have like crazy extreme processes oh jeez uh, not like crazy extreme but definitely very different but in america and i feel like most of europe at this point you just apply you mm-hmm. know maybe you have to do an interview but it just depends um so In 1920, the League of Nations held a conference on passports in Paris. Can you imagine being the diplomat set to that meeting? Can you imagine the president being like, hi, like you're a really reliable guy. I want you to go to Paris. And they're like, yes, I finally got the big meeting. And he's like, it's on passports. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Um, they created official passport guidelines and a general booklet design. The League of Nations were the ones who were like, this is what passports are going to look like. And we're going to regulate it Um, Mm. just so to make sure that everyone is following the same requirements. And so that there was like an international 
international understanding on what international travel would look like and how that process would work. I don't know if this is when they decided that they were going to do stamps, but I think this is when they regulated like, oh yeah, you're going to like, there has to be a check-in and a check-out system. Some only yeah. have a check-in system. Like England, you only get check, you only get stamped on the way in. Some other places you get stamped on the way out too. Um, I think this is where they really decided like you have to have blank pages for these stamps. It has to, you have to have a passport number, nationality, date of birth. They decided on like expiration dates and stuff like that. 1920. The only major change to passports since 1920 is that in 1980, passports became standardized for machine reading. So they could be scanned and read and understood as not counterfeit. Um, And then since 1980, the biggest change has been a push for biometric passports. This allows the identity of travelers to be confirmed through computer chips inside the passport and would make it much more difficult to make counterfeit ones. So it's almost like your um, digital, like a digital imprint, you know, just Ugh. like credit card has a digital imprint, like a chip. It's yeah. the same except for passports um, because it would be much harder to make counterfeit ones because um, counterfeit passports is a huge, it's a huge business. I feel like we're so close to having like a chip in your arm that's like, oh yeah, that's everything, scan, which makes me really anxious, but. Oh yeah, absolutely. Something that just scans everything. A hundred percent. I think what I read is that like the U S isn't really doing this yet, but some other countries are rolling out biometric passports mm-hmm. because again, it's a huge problem making fake passports. Um, it's a huge industry. So under the law of most countries, passports are government property and may be limited or revoked at any time. So even though it's your passport, it's not your property. It belongs to the government. Oh. And you may have heard before that surrendering a passport is a condition of granting bail for a pending criminal trial so that they don't try to run. They say this a lot on television Mm -hmm. shows, like you are out on bail, but you must forfeit your passport so you Mm -hmm. can't get away. Because again, it belongs to the government. Oh, you have to forfeit it? I was going to say, well, good luck finding mine if I ever get in trouble, you know, but. Uh, yeah, you have to. Dang it, it. I have to present it. Oh, yeah, you got to present it. <laughs> yeah, you have to hand it over if you're ever arrested and granted bail for a crime. Every country's requirements for the issue of passports is different. Um, for example, when applying for a passport or a national ID card, all Pakistanis are required to sign an oath declaring Mirza Ghulam Ahmad to be an imposter prophet and all Ahmadis to be non-Muslims. This isn't an episode about Islam, but um, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad was a, a Muslim man who believed that he was a prophet um, and could be the Messiah. And there's a sector of Islam that follows him and Pakistanis are very biased against this group so like literally you have to swear that you are not one of these people to get a passport in pakistan which is like really interesting in north korea the issue of passports is very limited and only given to a small number of people trusted by the government this is why it's very hard to get in and out of north korea in finland male citizens age 18 to 30 can only get an unrestricted which means they can go wherever they want for as long as they want, as long as the passport is valid, um, if they have completed or are exempt from their obligatory military service. And if they have not yet served in the military and they're not exempt from it, they their passport will only be issued until they are 28. And then at 28, they can't get it again until they've done their military service. Oh. That's required. Israel also has required military service, but I don't think they have a law like that about the passports. I also discovered that passports have different values depending on the number of countries the holder of that passport can enter for general tourism without requiring a visa, which is super interesting. I didn't really think about this, but some passports are stronger and more valuable than others because of the access you get with it. So Singapore and Japan are the most valuable because they have access to 189 countries with with one of their passports. And the United States is tied for sixth with Belgium, Canada, Greece, Ireland, Norway, in the UK and with our passports we can enter 183 countries Afghanistan is the weakest passport only granting access to 25 countries is that their decision Afghanistan's decision I think it yeah I think it's Afghanistan's decision that's a good question I didn't look up who decides what countries you can go into I think it has to do with um the country's decision and that country's relationship to other countries 
Like, I don't know. I I don't know what countries we don't have access to, but I can imagine, like, if we if an American wanted to go to Iraq in 2004, we probably would have to get a visa. This is going without a visa. That's very different if you apply for a visa. Um, but I can imagine 2004, maybe we would have had to apply for a visa. We couldn't just get in without our passport um, yeah. without doing any extra paperwork. So I, I think it depends on the state of that country's relationship to other countries. Um, but I do think at the end of the day, it's the decision of that country. You're another day older. I know I made that joke last week. I know, I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it depends on what that country's relationship is like to other countries. Yeah, makes sense. And, and what they want you to go. I mean, some countries, North Korea, you can only go, it's not that much better than Afghanistan. You can only go to like 30 countries or something like that. And that probably has something to do with the fact that North Korea doesn't trust other countries, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, with a valid passport, EU citizens are entitled to exercise the right of free movement in the European economic area, which includes the EU, Iceland, Liechtenstein, Norway, and Switzerland. So Europe, it's a little different. You don't have to. It's it's easier for them to get from country to country. Um, that's why when we were abroad, did you have to get a visa? I did. Yeah, when we were abroad, we had to get those visas, and those visas allowed us free movement in between the countries. Um, but when I went last summer, I didn't have to get a visa, so I had to do a different. I had to like go through customs more intensely every time I changed countries last summer because I didn't have that visa. Um, so oh. I didn't. I didn't technically have the right of free movement, quote unquote. Um, there are also several different types of passports. So there's full passports, which is the regular passport, which most individuals have. Um, and these are like your country's passport that you're given and you have always, it's your passport or it's the, it's the government's passport, but it has your name on it and it's the full thing. Yeah. Um, official passports are issued to government employees and their dependents. Diplomatic passports are issued to diplomats of a country and certain ones may be granted diplomatic immunity. Every time I hear diplomatic immunity, I think of that scene in Princess Diaries 2 where Joe um, threatens Chris Pine. <laughs> oh yeah. And he has <laughs> he's that. like, I, I have, I have diplomatic immunity in 50 countries, including Puerto Rico. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, Good so movie. diplomats have their own diplomats have their own passport, but they'll only be granted a passport for the country for which they are a diplomat. So if it's an American diplomat to France, they get a diplomatic French passport, but they can't use it to go into Germany. They would still need their U S passport. Emergency passports are issued to persons whose passport was lost or stolen without time to obtain a replacement. So if you lost your passport while in Europe and you had to catch your flight home, you would go to your country's embassy and they would issue you an emergency oh, passport. This was okay. my biggest fear when I, when we were abroad. We had a whole meeting about what to do if you lose your passport and about having to go to the embassy. And I spent all of abroad worried about my passport. I lost a cell phone when I was abroad and I was so thankful it wasn't my passport. Do you remember, I guess we went abroad different semesters, but did Donna Kish Goodling give you the same like terrifying speech about how at least one of you is going to like get roofied and wake up in another country and you're not going to have your passport on you. Yes. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding are me? Are you kidding me? She, I, I don't think that happened to anyone while I was, it didn't no, happen to anyone in my program at least. It didn't happen to me either or anyone I knew or anyone that went abroad our year. Yeah. I was not saying I, that doesn't happen, but like, yeah. <laughs> I think she's trying to scare you out of doing it. Like yeah. what, out of what getting roofied. Out of, like, going too crazy, I guess. I don't know. I was so afraid of losing my passport. Whenever I'm in a new country and I have my passport with me, it's, like, it, it makes me very anxious. It's my most protected item when I travel. Um, collective passports are used to de for defined groups for travel together to a particular destination. So if a school group went to France together, they'd probably get a collective passport. Um, these are less common in the U.S. The U.S. each student would have to obtain a passport. But in like Europe, if a group of French students were going to Spain for the weekend, they might get a collective passport. Oh. Yeah. Family passports. In with family passports, there's one passport holder who may travel alone or with the members of their family. But anyone in the family who is not the passport holder, who's the person whose name and picture appears on that first page, may not travel with that passport 
without the passport holder. This is not done in the US or most of the European Union. I think you find this a lot in Middle Eastern countries, especially where women aren't necessarily granted the same rights, you know, and women are very much still seeing the property of their husbands and same with children. I think this is where you really see family passports. There are also non-citizen passports. In America, you can be a U.S. national but not a a U.S. citizen if you were born in an outlying U.S. territory, which Wikipedia called a U.S. possession, and that made me feel really gross, like a U.S. possession. This would be Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's it's, sister. Puerto Rico's sister. Um, this would be like Puerto Rico, the American Samoa Islands, um, back when we still were colonizing the Philippines. The Philippines yeah. would have been here. Um, and a U.S. national passport grants the same travel rights as a U.S. citizen and the right to work in the U.S. without restrictions. Um, so you still would have to go through the same process of becoming a U.S. citizen, but you are considered a legal immigrant if you were to come to um what's the word for like the u.s mainland like if you were come to the 50 states okay um but so they have non-citizen passports interpol the international police um also issued travel documents oh my gosh that's what interpol is oh my gosh it also just occurred to me so don't worry um (laughs) <laughs> I'm I feel like so dumb no it's okay I watched Criminal Minds for many years and one of the characters goes to work for Interpol and it also just occurred to me that Interpol stands for international police um, I feel like you hear that in like crime movies where like like someone escapes to another country and you're like we just heard from Interpol that they're in Germany or like yeah it means international police yeah yeah um so they'll issue travel documents to police officers for official travel allowing them to bypass certain visa restrictions um in member states while investigating a transnational crime so this is how if somebody commits a crime in germany and flees to south america interpol will help the german police find them in south america because it's not south america's responsibility because the crime was not committed in south america yeah um refugee travel documents will be issued to a refugee by the state in which she or he currently resides allowing them to travel outside that state and to return obviously there is a lot of drama going along going on with this with syria and what's happening and that some countries are issuing refugee passports and some are not um these were made necessary because refugees are unlikely to be able to obtain passports from their state of nationality so when Mm -hmm. everything was going on in syria and the refugees went on to leave there was no way they were going to be able to gain a passport so it's very important that countries are able to give them a passport for when they flee and look for safe look for safety As I said before, border control officials often place stamps in passports as a part of their immigration control or customs procedures. Most countries have different stamps for arrivals and departures to make it easier for officers to quickly identify the movements of the persons concerned. Um, So like when I was abroad, I was hopping between countries a lot um, and I would get a lot of questions like, where were you last? Like, where are you going next? All of these things so that they could stamp, they could stamp my passport and like track where I was to make sure that like I was telling the truth. Yeah. Um, it's very important to like monitor for safety reasons um, for your safety and for their safety. Cause if you commit a crime, they need to be able to know where you were and you know, worth what's going on there. Here are some fun facts about passports. 40 million passports have been stolen since 2002 as of 2018 <gasps> in 16 years, 40 million stolen and or lost, but most likely stolen passports. That's how big of a problem it is. That's why people are really pushing for biometric passports. Jeez. Yeah. Red is the most popular passport cover, but all passports come in only four colors, red, blue, green, and black. Queen Elizabeth II does not have a passport and is probably the only person in the world afforded this privilege. Wow. Yeah. Pays pays to be queen. (laughs) Although, (laughs) but a passport costs like, what, $150? Like... (laughs) You just get one <laughs> at this point. They're like, no, no, it's fine. Even Prince Charles has one. And I'm pretty sure King Philip, or I guess he's not King. He's Prince Philip. Prince Philip yeah. has one too. Um, but she's well, the they're only not one. the monarch. She is. Yeah. Yep. I wonder so if she's like, when, one. I wonder if like when Prince Charles becomes King, if he'll just like throw his away. Yeah. Be like, let me in. Um, and then someone else steals it and they try to like go to another country and they're like, um, you're 
Prince Charles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it says Prince Charles on the passport. <laughs> yeah, that's all it says. I used to wonder for years what the royal family's last name was. It's Windsor, but I didn't know that. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you that off the top of my head. I'd probably have to think about it for a minute. Um, passports cost, passport costs very widely in China. Passport costs only, this is all converted to us dollars. A passport costs only $29, but in Turkey, the most expensive in the world, a passport costs $250. So it really depends on the country. Every page of a Canadian passport contains a different image of national importance under ultraviolet light. Oh, cool. This is a security measure, but it's also just cool. Finnish and Slovenian passports are also flip books. In a Finnish passport, if you flip the pages really quickly, a mouse scurries across the page. <gasps> I love that. What's Isn't it really f- cute? What's, what's the saying you said earlier? Like, it's the time when the fox and the mouse meet or something? Oh, yeah. Something about the uh, the one where the fox and the, and the rabbit say goodnight. Oh. Isn't that sweet? I thought that was really cool. The artworks used inside U.S. passports took six years to design, which if you if you're listening and you've never looked at a U.S. passport, which is, might be likely based off of the statistic I'll tell you next. Um, it is the most dramatic thing I've ever seen. I know I said that last week, but like <laughs> it's like all those stickers that you see on the back of like big trucks in like Missouri. <laughs> like, it's like bald eagle and a dramatic American flag. Like it's, it's so dramatic. It's a lot. And they all have, there's quotes on every page from influential U.S. citizens, like just so much. Um, only 38% of Americans have passports, which is why you might not know what they look like compared to 60% of Canadians and 75% of Brits and Australians, which is really shocking for Australians because the Australian passport costs like $219. That's a lot of money. And yet 75% of them still have it. And traveling outside of Australia is super expensive. Nicaraguan passports have 89 security features and are one of the most difficult documents in the world to forge. Ooh, Nicaragua. Yeah. Spanish passports have no expiration. So most passports expire in five to 10 years after they're issued. But Spanish passports have no expiration once you become a senior citizen, which they didn't say what age that is, but I'm assuming it's like 65, 70, 70. Because they're like, okay, well, we're not going to bother you with like coming in again to renew it. But Spain has one of the longest life expectancies in the world. So it's common to see a Spanish passport that has been issued for 20 years for a senior citizen that hasn't expired yet. And the world's smallest country, Vatican City, has no immigration control. They will not check your passport on the way in or out. They're just like, come on. They're considered protected by Rome. So they're like, all right, well, if you made it into Rome, you can you can come to the Vatican. And that is everything about passports. That's interesting. Thank you very much. It is kind of this is kind of related, but not really. But um at church this morning, um um the priest made a joke because he just got like some tax document back in the mail and um uh, he basically got this like form telling him like what his like tax returns were like and what but there was one sentence in the form that said like the only benefit you get from your job is intangible religious services (laughs) and he was like well so sorry guys i'm not giving you anything tangible today (laughs) oh no (laughs) that's funny that's really really funny which like i get it separation of church and state but i just thought that was funny that is funny you you guys go to a methodist church Episcopal. No, Episcopalian. Episcopalian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you you call them priests? Uh, I think so, yeah. Mine's called a reference. That's interesting. In Presbyterianism, if I went to church, mm. it would be a referent. So it's interesting that they're different. All right, that's that's all I have. Ooh, thank you so much. You're super welcome. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website, I've been wondering.com, where I post some fun stuff that relate to the episode. And I try to do it on time, but I don't always, and I apologize. <laughs> If you like what you're hearing, you can consider donating to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash YKWIBW podcast. You will get presents for donating and it would mean a lot to us. So consider doing that. 
And finally, if you have something that you've been wondering, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and we would love to talk about it on our show. Sarah. Yes. This past week, there like a meme became very popular on Facebook. And oh, I, I'm so excited. <laughs> about storming Area 51 to find what's inside and get to the bottom of whether or not there are aliens there. Yes, I replied going to the event. Oh, it was an event? I yeah, had no it was, idea a, where it it was an event on Facebook called Let's Storm Area 51 on like in like September and I replied that I was going. Oh my goodness. Okay, so I want I've been wondering about Area 51 in general. When did it first become known by the public that it was real? When did it first go there? Oh, great. What is oh. the government claiming is happening? That Yada, yada, yada. Tell me about Area 51. Oh, heck yeah. I'm into that. Absolutely. Gotcha. Very good. All right. This will pair nicely because you know what I've been wondering? What have you been wondering? I want to know about the lost city of Atlantis. Oh, like, is it real? Yes. I want to know if it's real. I know that there's a guy who thinks that he found where its location is. I want to know more about that. Oh, I and did watch that video. Yep. Mm-hmm. I also was thinking about that this because they Disney said that they're thinking about making a live action Atlantis movie um, with Tom Holland as Milo. And I like screamed. <laughs> I feel like they're just going to make a live action of every single movie because that's just going to make the money. It is. But it's also frustrating. I read an article that more of the live action movies have gotten negative scores on Rotten Tomatoes than positive ones. Really? So they're doing this, but it's not like they're getting like a good rep for them. Wow. Yeah. So there's that. So I want to know more about the Lost City of Atlantis. Two, cool. <laughs> two mysterious so like sci-fi. locations. Yeah, two sci-fi mysterious locations. I'm excited. Me too. Thank you so much for listening. This is You Know What I've Been Wondering.